people it is your girl amber jones and we are back for another episode of the revival faith justice and culture for the now generation is episode seven we are so close to ending our first season i'm so excited to be back with this new episode after taking some time to really center rest uh, we had a little bit of a shorter episode so that we can just really cultivate rest in our spaces and places but we are back with another interview and i'm so excited so super excited to uh bring on one of my brothers one of my favorite brothers come on um, say that again. <laughs> i was like mm, i ain't trying to get in, in trouble on, on the podcast <laughs> but yes one of my favorite brothers one of my favorite fraternity brothers just just uh, all around good man and I'm so excited to um, introduce you all to the show. Um, so we have Destin Land, aka Destin for Greatness, aka Destin. Uh, <laughs> I was like, just so many different names. I got all the AKAs at this point. I know you got your like podcast name, you got your uh, musician name, just so many <laughs> different names. <laughs> but we're so excited to have Destin on the show. He is just an amazing. Um, just an educator and um, the way in which he serves young people is just really admirable. He's also an artist, musician. He is a prolific piano player. He is an old school church musician. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, Kojic, uh, born and bred, just so many my, different my things. God, my God. And you. he has just launched, and we kind of preview for it in a preview, uh, previous episode, but he just launched his new podcast adventure adventure venture i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> i'm messing up your intro it's okay uh, <laughs> he just launched his latest podcast called rethinking manhood which is already just having such an amazing impact in the community so i'm so excited to welcome you say hi to the people destin <laughs> What's up, what's up, y'all? I'm so, I'm telling y'all, I am a fan of Amber. I have always been such a big fan. <laughs> like, in fact, I think that when I actually met you, I feel like I had like a, you mean that feeling where you feel like you're meeting a celebrity? Oh my uh, goodness, that's just how no. Amber is. <laughs> no. <laughs> first, in honor to God, who was the head of my life, to my pastor, Pastor Amber, to the deacons. Oh my Lord. To the mothers <laughs> and to the brothers and to all the saints of God here on tonight or on this morning, wherever you're watching or whatever time it is. Uh. But yeah, my name is Dustin. I'm a, I'm a higher ed professional. Um, I work in student affairs. I really just I really just love listening to people mm -hmm. and learning their stories and figuring out ways that I can just kind of help support them throughout their journey. Um, I've been in student affairs for like the past three years. I love it. Um, it is the students that keep me there. You take away the students, I'm out. Period. That is the only reason why I do the work. Uh, outside of that, as Amber said, I just, I'm a creative. I just really mm -hmm. love to create things, whether that's music, whether that's content. Um, I just feel my most authentic self when I'm in a space where I get to just explore the gifts that God has given me and find a way to use them to send a message. That's awesome. And I, I really like that you talked about how you're a creator. I feel like with this venture with the revival and playing this project together in mm. that process um this is one of the first times that i've really been um stepping to a place of creating and being a creator 
and oh, it is it is a very like invigorating experience. It's very yes. refreshing, especially yes. just the idea of like you you don't have to put yourself in a box. You're not thinking about how to create something so that other you want people to resonate, but most importantly, you want to stay true to what you're creating. And I think. Mm. The more that I'm like going through this process and really trying to one be in alignment with God and how He wants this to show up in the world, but also just really being true to what I know um, this should be, it's mm-hmm. I have such a deeper appreciation for like the creatives yes. that I know yes. because I'm like wow this is what it really means to to have the integrity behind what you're creating because you know this is. The right thing and then also just that that feeling of like the feeling of creating so i just love that oh yeah that's so it's funny because i think that like creating is like such a godlike thing you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i feel like it's such a every time i feel like i'm doing something creative is i feel like i'm saying like oh god i'm just out here trying to be like you you know yeah. I'm, just, I'm just out here doing you know just trying to mimic what you did and what what he constantly does mm-hmm. um and i think you know i never when I got into like, you know, at least I don't know if you experienced this with your podcast, but it's a lot of work. And I think that yeah. content creation, everybody think it's easy. You think like, oh, yeah, no. like no. I could do that. And it's like, nah, bro, it's it's a lot. <laughs> no, it's, it is. And um, y'all, we were talking offline, but I was like, look, Destin, you're going to have to teach me, like, <laughs> teach me how to do some of the stuff you do on social media. <laughs> teach me how, how you edit certain things so that we can, <laughs> we can take the podcast to the next level because it's not easy. It's not. It's not. It's not. But it's also a labor of love. Like, the more yes. that you build on those skills and how you're able to see it come alive, too. So, And also, like, it's a continuous reminder that things don't have to be perfect. Um, mm. That it can continue to be an era of process. But... But yeah, I I love what you said, like being closer to God through creating, like we're first introduced to God as a creator, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And that's how we come into the world because God created it and he created us to be in it. And what a beautiful process that was, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just think that's really cool. So, oh, hey, Leo. (laughs) Hey, Leo. Leo's my cat, y'all, and I can... (laughs) Trying to be on the podcast. Too. I know. Yeah. I've 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 resigned myself to know that you know there's gonna be these little moments. You know when people are, you know we listen to podcasts and there's <laughs> random things sometimes happening in the background. And for us, it will be Leo trying to make himself known to the world. <laughs> you know what? I support it. Give Leo a mic. <laughs> no, that's okay. He don't know how to act. Okay, <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, for all the people I bring on to the show, I always like to open up space for them to get to know you more and particularly how God found you. I always, um, I always think there's so much to learn from how God shows up in our lives and brings us back to him and just that whole process and how that transforms us. So you want to share that with us? That'd be great. Yeah, that is such a good question. Oh, I've been thinking about that question. There's two <laughs> words that I think that come up for me, and it's insecurity and honesty. Mm. And it's not that I feel like these words are directly connected, but I think part of it was, you know, when I reflect back on what a lot of my journey has been, it's been navigating insecurity. 
And I think it's always interesting, the person who I've become in my adult life, because mm-hmm. I'm a very like secure person mm-hmm. as far as who I am. But I think it took a lot to get there. And I think it really took a lot of understanding that God created me in his image, being fearfully and wonderfully made, like, you know, knowing that there is hope and redemption uh, in him. And then maybe it does tie to honesty, because I also think that, you know, I'm a PK. Shout out to all the preacher's kids. Hey, hey. I hope y'all are in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding, but I'm kidding. You guys will say you're not. <laughs> but I do think, like, really the the, cha- the most challenging part about being a PK is just feeling like there's a standard of perfection yeah. that you have to live up to in just the way that church culture, like, normalizes putting on a show. Like, mm-hmm. I think church culture just normalizes us pretending to be these perfect people, and I think church culture is very much like, yeah, we all sin, but... I do the good sins, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe I just gossip a little bit or, you know, maybe I'm not honest a little, but it's like, nah, like some of us out here like have caused real harm before, you know, or I think um, the more I realized my imperfection, I think that's where God like found me mm-hmm. in the moment where I was able to like stop putting on this mask of I'm perfect. I don't have any brokenness. I don't have any parts of my life healing, but when I was able to, own that reality I feel like that's the moment when I felt so much closer to God and that was when I was like 13 years old mm-hmm. um and me and God we've been we've been on the journey ever since mm-hmm. that's awesome thank you so much for that Justin and you just bring up um such a real point and I hope that this community um will be a safe space to to dive into that just the ways in which the church has perpetuated harm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very difficult conversation to have because yeah. um, I feel like in a lot of ways, especially, I, I think it shows up in different cultural communities, that conversation, obviously. But for mm. us who are have grown up in the black church tradition, um, I think sometimes it presents itself as... Um, we're trying so hard to be different from like all the ways that this culture has tried to demoralize black people and that absolves us of any critique when we do harm. Like, um, and that shows up in so many different ways, even in just black community and black spaces. Um, But there's something different about the church because we are called and we have the power through the spirit to be the antithesis to all of that. Mm. So what happens when we fall? Because we are still, we're still going to fall. We're still subject to sin, right? Um, But what is the process to, to heal and transform and to work through those things? And um, you, you named two words, insecurity and honesty and, the way through that is honesty, right? Mm-hmm. Like being honest and being accountable. And so, and I just think there's just been so many people that I have met along in my journey who um, are people who were once in that tradition. And because of the trauma and the hurt and the lack of honesty, um, yeah. they completely left God in the process mm-hmm. or left, I want to say completely left God, but left the version of God in the Bible, in the scriptures, yep. um, and the Jesus 
of the Bible and the scriptures. And, um, and nobody has really done that work to heal and transform mm. and to call them back into that love. And I think that is the biggest transgression is thinking that it's okay to just let people walk away because we are, we may be too prideful or we don't feel equipped to be honest. Um, So, I mean, that's going to be a whole conversation for a whole nother episode, but you can respond to that in this moment for sure. It's just, you know, that's just something that has burned my heart. Um, And even in conversations I've had with people, leading up to creating this space is one of the key things that I'm like, we need to heal. We need to, we need to embrace accountability. We need to embrace healing transformation because so many people's souls and lives are dependent on us um, stepping out of ourselves. We just felt like in the midst of so much that's going on, we just wanted to have some fun. But I do want to give you some some room to kind of talk a little bit about your latest venture, which is Rethinking Manhood. And I have been deeply enjoying the podcast. I know this was partly a body of work that you started in grad school. Mm -hmm. Um, You can share more about that. but the, the podcast so far, and even what you're doing on your Instagram at Rethinking Manhood and just some of the ways in which you are shifting the narrative about this and especially how that can be a benefit to um, the black men and also black women um, in, our, in our lives. Um, I just have been really enjoying the journey. So just wanted to open up the floor for you to share uh, yes. more about Rethinking Manhood. Oh my gosh, rethinking manhood, I think, has been like my life journey. Mm. And the reason why I say that is it, it started when I was an undergrad. And initially, I was going to school to be a teacher. I always felt really passionate about youth. And I think I grew up, or at least what I felt growing up, is I always felt like I didn't see Black men do anything. Mm. And I think I felt limited. And I wanted to go to college solely because I felt like that was the space where I, I, I looked at people who graduated from a high school who didn't go. And then I think I saw a path and I was like, I, I don't know my path, but I know that ain't it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been trying to figure out like what's going on with men in our community. Like it's always been, it's always been a question that I didn't even know how to ask, but I've always known that there's something going on with men in our community something that like doesn't click where like there's certain internal issues and of course like we know the systemic factors and I'm not trying to like downplay those factors at all but I was like I feel like there's something internal that like I don't know what's going on and in that undergrad class I started asking a lot of questions about black masculinity and what that means Um, and I think in grad school I started coming to this conclusion that and this is a big conclusion, and I don't mean this for real, for real, but I do mean it. <laughs> I think if we were to look at every issue that impacts, like, men, patriarch- patriarchal masculinity 
is even if it's not the exact cause of it, it either plays a role in it. It either like makes that issue so much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do believe that like patriarchal masculinity is like probably one of the most, I think it's like a killer of, of men. It's a killer mm-hmm. of love. It's a killer of a lot of things. So I see, I guess I see this podcast and this work as being so important because I know how harmful one just patriarchy is to everyone. Like not mm-hmm. of course to women, to men, to everyone, to children, to youth, like patriarchal masculinity is harmful. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just kind of felt called in a weird way to start talking about it because I always think about, okay, so this is going to be corny, but it's real though. I think <laughs> my biggest dream in life is to be a father. Yeah. And it's weird that that's, I don't know. It's like, I think if, if I became a father, like, that would be enough for me. I don't know if there's anything else in the world that would make me happier or more fulfilled. And I always think about what would it mean to raise a son mm-hmm. in this world? Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I think every conversation I would have with men in my life, I would just notice more and more of like, mm, something seems a little off. Mm-hmm. Something seems a little wrong here, especially like on social media when you see the way that men respond to certain things, the things that men say around each other. Um, and I just knew that there needed to be a space where we learn to kind of unpack these things and really start asking questions and rethinking, what does it really mean to be a man, you know? So that's how it kind of came into, into fruition. Mm-hmm. Yo, that's dope. Okay. Okay. So, um, so with, the podcast so far i know that you've released a few episodes um and i know one of them was kind of like a a portion of conversation you had with several men in your life several peers i know some of them (laughs) shout out to y'all y'all are great um and i also i i really am grateful like just as a sidebar when i think about just like good men um, that I know, I'm like, Dustin is definitely one of them. Um, uh, I just even remember, you know, different conversations we've had, like on trips and when we're like, or when we're like debating, like insecure and all those things. <laughs> but what I love is like how you show up in those spaces and you are able to, to provide a balance that does not absolve men of the accountability mm-hmm. that, um, needs to be on them for their actions but also just like continuing to, to treat them as human. And I think particularly for black men, that is a huge struggle that I see in the discourse. Like accountability for black right. men is almost like an attack. And I yeah. don't understand why. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of weird because I've always, something about me too, is I think that I've always been a little bit disconnected from mm-hmm. like, manhood in the way that we've known it traditionally mm-hmm. so because of that i've been privileged to have so many relationships with women mm-hmm. like platonic just so many like having my closest friends have always been women and i think that has shaped me so much like i think that mm-hmm. i am the person that i am because of those relationships but i think the more i started to connect with men i was like you know the funny part is that a lot of men don't really <laughs> They genuinely don't know that certain things are wrong and problematic. Mm-hmm. And it you would think that it's common sense, right? You would think it was it's common sense that uh to give you an example, 
Dang, I don't know if I want to give that example. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what examples can I give that ain't gonna put nobody on blast. Um, <laughs> basically, I think that for the longest, men have been socialized. What we see as traditional masculinity, mm-hmm. men have been socialized into this for so long. So to hold them accountable, it's like strange for them because it's like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, this goes against everything that I was taught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's very true. And I mean, it does come from multiple sides, but I've even felt like in some conversations that I've had with black men and we talk about accountability, it will then get turned back onto black women in some type of way. Like, well, if like, I'll just take this example from, I was at um, an event, like an elections related event last fall and got in this conversation with some men I don't know. And um, we were talking about, you know, the violence um, or, you know, the things that are happening in our community as it relates to younger black men and Mm -hmm. uh, what does accountability look like, like real accountability that will actually heal. And there was just so so much deflection back into their mothers, right? Mm. How their mothers um, are not doing the right things or their mothers are... Uh, shielding them from accountability or being permissive in their negative actions. And I'm not saying that that is not part of the equation, but it's like, why is that your first response? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like, why are we not talking about like, okay, what web of support do these young men have that include older men that can also hold them accountable? Um, because that's not always there. So I just am like, why is it that the first conversation we're trying to have about <laughs> how to hold young men accountable is to criticize the actions of imperfect women who oftentimes don't have the support that they need to be what all they need to be for the sons in their lives. Like, I just, I'm like, this is, this is what we're doing. We're like kind of picking at <laughs> each other and not actually like getting to the root causes. <laughs> and I don't oh, understand. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. I mean, well, it's even interesting, too, because I think the word accountability, I think about that word a lot because I'm often mm-hmm. wondering, like, what does it actually mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think we talk about accountability a lot, but I don't know if we're ever, like, mm-hmm. defining it in spaces. And I even think, like, you know, what is that relationship between accountability, grace, forgiveness, reconciliation? Like, what, you know, I feel like we don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we talk about those things enough of how, like, yes, we know that people do harm. What does it mean for that person to be held accountable? And what does accountability look like without, I think the only form of account of accountability we know and talk about is like the criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, so I'm always thinking like, what is accountability beyond that or like outside of that? What does mm-hmm. it look like for a person to be reintegrated into a community? after doing harm, you know? Mm-hmm. No, no, that's very true. And I think that is a conversation that I have witnessed sometimes have been a part of for a long time, particularly as a community organizer mm. and have ha- directly witnessed harm or have been harmed in different ways. Um, maybe not the kind of harm that you would charge somebody for all the time mm-hmm. and, and put them away, but the kind of harm that has real ripple effects in community. And I and I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, five plus years ago and how that has mm-hmm. continued to persist. And we don't, we still have not gotten a handle on it. Like we still have not 
um, really, there's some people who have like really committed themselves to doing that hard work, but not not, not enough of us. Um, mm. And yes, you're right. It takes one a huge paradigm shift. Um, we have to think more expansively than the options that our society affords us, um, and also, like, you know, particularly as as two people who are Christians, we know that there is life after the harm for both the both the victim and both the perpetrator. That that, that God grants life. Um, and forgiveness and mm-hmm. healing and restoration for both um, in, hey, in different hey. ways. Um, and we're called to that too. We're not called to judge. We're called to be merciful. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also called to restore and to be accountable and to hold people to account. Um, but we're also called to mercy. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And I just think for particularly black people, we have not been treated mercifully and we don't fully, because of that, we don't know how to do it often to our own people. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, That's why you're my pastor. You preaching good. Shut up. I'm about to give you my offer. I'm today. not about to disrespect your father. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it's just, you know, and then tack on gender dynamics on top of that, mm. right? And so... Um, but I just really appreciate the space that you are c- creating for men, particularly black men, um, to be able to have those honest conversations without being judged, like, and just being yes. able to listen in, you know, I often, I, I definitely think that men, particularly black men, as much as we want to encourage you all to go to therapy to share your feelings, to have space for men. I don't think we are always good at practicing that in real time um, because it's messy, you know? Like, when men start to really um, unpack the things that they struggle with and their honest feelings and really dive into that, nine times out of ten, it's not going to really align sometimes with how women feel. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. And so... Um, yeah, I just think that is an important body of work to do, to be able to give that space unfiltered without commentary and just opening up space for other people to, not just black women, but all people to listen. So, Oh yeah. It's interesting because Bell Hooks talks about how like collectively we've done a bad job at loving men. Yeah. And part of, I, I believe why, you know, she says that is because we, from the time boys are born, we teach them to master feelings and be, and you know, that's like a form of Mm -hmm. teaching them to abandon themselves early on. And I think since I've been like doing this work of just like having conversations with men about manhood and masculinity, I've learned that there's just a lot of hurt men Mm -hmm. like in this world. Like they're just, um, there's a a lot of trauma that men carry uh, so much that just goes untalked about for years and for years and for years. Um, and that's why I just think it's so important that these spaces do exist because there's there's a lot of men that are hurting. I mean, it would I think it would shock people. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And because of what you're saying, um, the way that part patriarchy um, impacts the way men view themselves and how they identify as masculine, when you have all of that suppressed trauma, um, mm-hmm. it actually shows up in very dangerous ways, like. 
suppressed trauma in in men often shows up as violence and that's not it's not always physical violence though that Mm -hmm. is very prevalent in our society it's also emotional violence verbal violence um emotion you know what i'm saying like manipulation um gaslighting or um emotional detachments um Mm -hmm. there's just so many different ways that that shows up in men that often we don't see as violent (laughs) as well but we have to actually take the time to really like process and unpack that um all just the ways that harm continues to be perpetuated um we've Mm. got tons of men out here for example that are completely emotionally disconnected but they will um sleep around and have a thousand partners at once and act and act like it's no but just real like and 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 then try to act like it's not a problem though the the women in their lives are like pulling their hair out because of the hurt that's violence (laughs) emotional violence (laughs) but a lot of but a lot of those things have seeds you know they have roots um and a lot of that is because of the in that suppressed trauma right that has Mm. not been addressed and whatever is not transformed is transferred. And so we just, I just think it's so important to really commit in our communities to making sure that this work is being done just because it has such ripple effects for all of us involved, not just for the men that we're in conversation with or in oh, space yeah. with. You know, a funny, well, it's not funny, but a wild part <laughs> about this work is I didn't realize this, but there's like a lot of, I mean, I should have known this, but there's a lot of accounts and people who are like doing very counter work of like trying to defend this like traditional mm-hmm. version of masculinity. And there's so many, <laughs> it's so scary. I'd be like, dang, who hurt you? <laughs> but there's so many accounts of like, no, we actually need to defend this tra- because it's like, men are so afraid of, of confronting themselves, mm-hmm. confronting their hurt, confronting their feelings, that they feel the need. And it, it comes out through, well, now I need to defend this toughness. I need to defend that men are tough, mm-hmm. that men are this alpha male type of thing. No shade to the men are alpha by alpha. <laughs> <I'm talking about. laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't use this. I couldn't use this. <laughs> Oh, Dustin. Okay. <laughs> uh, I lost my train. I know you did. Trying to be paid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Overall, just like I've been shocked. It'll slightly fascinated with how many accounts are all about like alpha malehood and mm-hmm. trying to like maintain this very traditional stereotypical definition of manhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, they have all those jokes of, like, y'all need to stop giving (laughs) these men podcast platforms. I'm like, but Destin, we could keep them all more than him. But I think also part of it, too, is our complicity, you know, our complicity Mm -hmm. in these structures of patriarchal masculinity. And women have to be called to account for that. Like, you know, I've definitely been in relationships um, in my past where looking back at it, I did not give enough space for mm-hmm. um, the men or that per- particular man in my life to have that space for emotional vulnerability, 
without being judged, without being shamed. Um, mm. There's so many conversations about, you know, whether or not you are okay with a man crying or what happens when a man is struggling with, like, depression and all these things. All these things that may signal um, some type of weakness um, in a man. And why does that make us so incredibly uncomfortable to experience that in real time? Like, men are not dynamic beings themselves that mm. have um, a spectrum of emotions and struggles. And um, I do think part of that is that we have to realize how we ourselves as a whole have internalized patriarchy. Um, oh, yeah. And have become complicit in it. I mean, like, look, you know, there's some things I'm like, yep, I don't want to take out the trash. <laughs> you know, real minor things, you know what I'm saying? Like, or yep, I do want to feel protected. <laughs> like, um, I do want to feel a sense of protection. We're going to talk about protection later I'm about to say, on. Let's go there. We're going to go there in a second, y'all. Just, just for context, we are, we are recording this the day after Oscar, so we will get to that in a second. <laughs> But, um, yeah, there's definitely things that I'm like, you know, when it comes to how we traditionally define masculinity or manhood, I ascribe to, but it cannot come at the um, loss or it cannot come um, wrapped into keeping men in a box at the same time. Yes. If I want to be emotionally expansive or if I want to be seen as a woman that's not held into this box of, like, sexist notions of womanhood right um then i also have to be able to be open to expanding that definition as well for men even when it makes me uncomfortable sometimes Hmm. and i don't really know if we're always having that conversation oh absolutely absolutely (laughs) i I would say we're definitely not having that conversation (laughs) because i think the reality is is that like a lot of people love patriarchal masculinity that's what we have been taught. Like, we have been taught that patriarchal masculinity is real biblical manhood. That's what we have been taught. Yes. Like, we even, even I think the church plays a huge role in kind of, like, over-glorifying this, like, patriarchal manness um, that is so harmful. Um, and what's weird about that, I think, from a Christian perspective, is we don't want men to show weakness, but then we have scriptures that talk about like boasting in our weakness because, oh Lord, have mercy. I was gonna, <laughs> if you ever get ready to quote a scripture, then your mind go blank. Yeah. I, I know what it's saying, but now I'm just par- I be paraphrasing scriptures all the time. I mean, yeah, here's like, the meaning of it. Right. You know, you it's, look it. it's that scripture where it's talking about boasting in our weakness because yep. you know, God's, you know, God strengthen lord have mercy yeah god's strength is uh god's strength is made perfect in our weakness what's that second i i have seen this i looked this one up recently just because you know it had to minister to my spirit in a particularly weak moment but i think it's second corinthians yeah um but yeah i know what you're talking about like just this disconnect to i mean and there's just so much in the bible that clearly shows number one um that there are traits in men that are not ascribed through patriarchy. that are actual like traits that men experience and, and emotional spectrums that patriarchy does not allow. Um, and also it shows like the harm of patriarchy. <laughs> oh yeah. So many times in scripture it's a both and. 
So yeah, I'm also like, how did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> how did we get here? But um, and I lost my train of thought too. I was gonna say something else, but you got scripture in front of you. You can pull it up. <laughs> oh well, I don't close my Bible, but I did Google. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. And for the reading of the word, saints, this is Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 it says my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness Mm -hmm. therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that christ's power may rest on me that was good i just want his power to rest on me (laughs) so yeah i just yeah but we've seen so many instances in scripture just even like you know who's a really good example of all of this? Hmm. David. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, David like, was wilding out. Okay. Yes. With David, we see not only like the harms of patriarchy, just the way that how he objectified women and how that, you know, brought harm. That brought harm to his family, like through generations. It was like a generational curse because of the things that he done to objectify yeah. women. So he like, you know, took Bathsheba from this man Uriah and then ended up like killing him. Like it was just real scandalous, right? When I um, first read that story, I was like, the Bible too hood for me. <laughs> oh yeah, it's scandalous. <laughs> and just and just how that um yes, how that instance showed up in the lives of his children and how um the sin of like sexual assault and mm. and rape in particular persisted into yeah. um his children and just how like horrifying that is and also if you look at that that particular story this is with um tamar amnon and absalom um we see a couple of things. We see um, not only the rape and the incest, but also we see David's inaction, right? Mm. Even after he mm. himself <laughs> has done that act and has mm. repented of it, has had to like carry on the weight of his actions um, after God sent Nathan and told him about himself, like, you know this is going to happen to your children. And yet, mm. He does not say he is complicit. We don't hear any record of him saying anything to speak against that, to hold his children accountable. And then also it it um, persists even further. I think now this is me paraphrasing, but one of the brothers ends up killing the other brother, the one who mm-hmm. actually commit the acts. And so it's just so much trauma, and that generational right. trauma continues to to persist through generations because you as a father, in particular. Um, you was a leader, you were a king, um, and you as a man um, fell in such a treacherous way, particularly in the way that you showed up as a man and how that has shown up in future generations. And um, I think that is just a huge cautionary tale that we do not talk enough about in the scriptures. Mm. It's right there. It's in the scriptures. It's clear clear as day. Um, (laughs) But I think this is the thing that you're talking about, um, Destin, just like because of the way we are situated in culture when it comes to masculinity, um, with the church, particularly in the United States, there's just certain things we don't we ignore <laughs> in scripture. Okay. <laughs> there's certain things we ignore. I'm like, yo, it's right there. I didn't you read that? <laughs> <laughs>
um, into future episodes or future work you're doing with Rethinking Manhood, just what are some things we are um, looking forward to seeing coming out of this project? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sneak peeks. Sneak peeks. So right now, if you if, if folks have been listening to the podcast, um, it's very focused on Black ma- masculinity right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of where it's going in the next few episodes we have coming after this week is like really looking at masculinity from other cultures. So there's mm-hmm. an episode where we talk a lot about Asian manhood and we talk about like what it means to be an Asian American man in America. Um, because mm-hmm. while there's some similarities, I think that uh, there's there's some cultural pieces that where we see manhood a bit differently or there's an episode about machismo. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll be looking at manhood from uh, different cultural perspectives as well. That's coming. Um, we're also going to be talking about joy, mm-hmm. cultivating joy as men. Um, and we're going to talk about accountability. Yeah. Accountability. That's coming. That's coming. Yes. Okay. That's awesome. I'm really excited for that. I'm really, and also I'm really excited for how you're expanding the conversation to other communities of color and um, how they approach manhood or how they struggle with patriarchal masculinity. I think that's going to be super informative. And often, you know, it's not, those aren't conversations that are being elevated. So really mm-hmm. excited for that. Yeah. Okay. All right, y'all to the tea because we said we was going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I got the tea ready. You said it wasn't my tea ready. I'm almost running out of tea. Yeah, he got his little, his mug sipping on that tea. <laughs> Or maybe it's coffee. Oh, in a in another life, Destin is like a real coffee connoisseur. Check. Oh, well, I, I drink coffee black. Okay, black lives matter. You don't love. You can't tell me you love black people, and then you put the white cream in your coffee. Oh my to make gosh. Anti-blackness. <laughs> you are so funny. All right, y'all. So um, it was. It's you know things are always so funny, and now I get it as someone who does podcasts, and you start. <laughs> You know how you listen to like your your stream of podcasts and yep. you are just hoping that like all right, yo, this bad thing just happened. Are they gonna get to it before their next podcast recording so they can talk about it? <laughs> I feel like that all the time, like specifically if I'm listening to like the read, like how you gonna talk about it? Um, but so for context, everyone. So the Oscars came on last Saturday of March. And, um, I definitely slept through most of, slept through most of the award show. However, (laughs) there were some moments that got a little spicy. Um, one of those moments was Chris Rock was doing a monologue of of several jokes and proceeded to make some jokes about, um, Jaya Pinkett Smith and her hair. Um, if people don't know, she's been struggling with alopecia and she just went bald over the last several years. Um, and, uh, obviously Will Smith is there. He was nominated for an Oscar, uh, for King Richard, which, um, if y'all haven't seen King Richard, y'all need to go see that. Um, and don't let these people try to, especially these non-black people try to be all like why are we making a movie about the Williams sisters and we focusing on the day like <laughs> see tripping right but y'all gotta see King Richard it was, it was an amazing movie um, so obviously they're making jokes he's making jokes about Jaya and at one point Will kind of responds by going up onto the stage since he's a major nominee he's got like front row seat he mm-hmm. walks up to the stage and proceeds to like pimp slap 
Chris bow, Rock. Bow, bow. Like, open hand. Like, ooh. <laughs> like, you, like, in some ways, I kind of probably would want it to be a close hand fist that open hand <laughs> slap. Like, that's kind of rude. Um, and then proceeds to go back down and and sit in his seat and then continue to yell at him saying, don't you disrespect my wife, so on and so forth. Um, so that was a moment. And it was on TV and nobody really did anything about that. Moving on, <laughs> mm, he actually mind. wins the Best Actor Oscar for King Richard. And then he goes on, on an, a passionate, kind of emotional, tear-filled speech talking about protecting the people he loves. Um, and how King Richard, particularly the father, um, taught him how to protect the people he loves, whether it was his co-star, Anjanae Ellis, whether it was the, um, the two young women that played Venus and Serena, um, whether it's his family to protect the people he loves and just struggling through that. He also said um, something that Denzel has said to him backstage that I think at your, you better be careful because at your highest moment, that's when the devil comes to attack you. Um, mm -hmm. And just and also made an apology to the nominees and to the Academy. So I think we're kind of up to speed with all the key things there. Um, it was funny because I had fallen asleep. I didn't even see the slap. I just woke up and saw him win the Oscar. And I was like, yes, will you have the And then everybody was like, wait, hold on. It's questionable. So I had to go down back and figure out what happened. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I get it. But I just was like, there's so much, there's so much here, right? And number one, I just think that we are never going to fully deduce what was going on between these three people as Absolutely. people. And so I'm going to try personally my best to not really comment directly about what Will was thinking or what Jay was thinking or what Chris was thinking. We know particular things in context and yeah. just their histories as public figures but I feel like there's so much more underneath the surface as well. Um, but I just think, as we've been talking about, like, patriarchal masculinity, there's just so much at play here. Yes. Um, and I don't know where to start, but I'm just going to go over to you, Dester, so that we can yeah, talk about so it. What, I, what has been interesting for me is really looking at what other people have been saying about it on yes. Facebook. And it's been very much so, like, Will did that. That's what you're supposed to do. Or it's been like, well, that was very inappropriate. Like, why would you do it like that? You should press charges. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the question that I think I have been thinking about even before this really is what do we really mean when we say protect? Like, what yes. does protect mean? Because in this situation, I think I love – here's what I can say. I, I appreciate the energy behind what Will did in the sense of I think that absolutely you should not let a person disrespect, you know, your spouse. You know, you should never, you shouldn't let a person ever be in a mic talking bad about black women and not intervene in some way. Yes. So I, I, I appreciate that. However, I think the way in which he did it, um, to me, that just felt like patriarchal masculinity. Mm. That's all it felt like to me. And I know that, you know, a lot of people are saying that's what protection is, but I'm like, I mean, I don't, uh, to me, what's also interesting is thinking about, I've read Will Smith's book, mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've had a chance to read his book, but in his book, he talks a, a lot about battling this perception of, you know, because Will was mocked a lot about not being a tough guy, 
Uh, you know, because when he was in hip in hip hop, you know, this was a time where mm-hmm. gangster rap is getting big. And, you know, like Will Smith was making kind of like, the, you know, I went to the store one day to meet a girl named Roxanne. You know, that's the type yeah. of music he was making. He wasn't talking about hitting nobody, shooting nobody. You know, he <laughs> and he talks a lot about his insecurity with that. And then I think to see the way he responded, it just felt like, okay, this is like, I, to me, what the message that it sent is this is how men solve problems in a patriarchal culture. We mm-hmm. respond with violence. Mm-hmm. Um, where mm-hmm. I think there are plenty of other things that, I mean, he could have equally went up there, grabbed the mic, or said, hey, I want you to stop right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But instead, he punched him and walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're applauding that as manhood. We're applauding that as protecting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so let's say... You know, let's say Will Smith is not Will Smith. Let's say that another person do this, you are going to jail. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, had it probably been anyone up there that was not Chris Rock, charges would have been pressed. Mm -hmm. Will Smith going to jail. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, more that comes with that. So I think we have to be careful in how we, I mean, I think duality is real, right? Like, I think Mm -hmm. there's ways we can acknowledge the yeah. act of standing up, you know, for his wife and standing up for Jada, standing up for black women, but also acknowledge that the way in which he did it, especially as a 50 year old man, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was using wisdom. Um, <laughs> and I, to me, it felt childish. I'm like, these mm-hmm. are some real old men. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, I mean, I've learned in my life that age does not always equal wisdom. So oh, yeah, that's the thing true. in there. But, no, I agree a lot with what you're saying, Destin. And I think one of the things after, because, yes, I've been reading a lot of posts from people on social media, but I've also kind of had to not for a little while just to kind of process. And I think as a woman, um, particularly as a black woman, I know how it feels to deeply feel unprotected. Like, Mm. And that's not just protected from physical harm. But just protected, like not feeling protected in the sense of like when someone has done me wrong and there is no accountability from the men I know, no bad person, right? Mm, yeah. And, um, and then also like feeling deeply unprotected by a partner too. Like mm. just feeling like, oh, that person that you thought would be there to cover you is not covering you. And I know also tons of women just in my life who have experienced that and who Mm. have actually been deeply unprotected to the point of potential physical harm or physical harm um, by all types of black men, right, or Mm. other men. And when they looked up and was looking for their big brothers or their people to be there to protect and to have some type of accountability or some type of healing, walking with someone in their healing and their shifting of their behavior, they were not there. Or if they were there, it was very much um, passive um, Mm -hmm. or not really fully holding that man accountable. And so when I thought about that circumstance at the Oscars and also just you know, trying not to go too much into the Will and Jay saga because <laughs> both of them are <laughs> it's both of them, yeah, and both of them are you know not solely victims and not solely perpetrators at the same time. <laughs> but mm-hmm. 
I will say though, as a couple, as a married couple, they have endured a lot of attacks. Um, yes. And I can understand well processing so much of that in real time. Like I cannot let this be the the next time I do not protect my family. Right. Yeah. Um, I can understand that. Um, but there have also been so many times before that where he did not protect his family. And oh. as a woman, particularly if you're like in it, in, in a real committed relationship with someone, that is just deep pain and exposure. And it's like lack of, tr- you know, there's a lack of trust that, that builds and um, there may be humiliation involved. Like there's just so much. And mm. I have... I'm in this season right now where I really just want the best for black women, for sure. Like, yeah, I really do. Um, I want black women to experience ease, I, you know, enjoy. And I think part of that, too, is feeling protected. But also, as you as you were talking about, like, what does it mean to protect? I also think we have to simultaneously lift up the agency of black women. Because mm-hmm. in this conversation, and I think I may have saw a post about it, and I felt really... Oh, yeah, there was a, a former co-worker of mine who had posted this, and I just felt like this was the one post today that I really resonated with, that in the course of these past almost 24 hours that we have been debating, debating, talking about what happened at the Oscars, we have completely lost sight of Jada's agency. Like, we have completely mm-hmm. erased that. Like, mm-hmm. who knows? Like, now we can now we can talk about whether or not what Will did was right. But what we don't know is, mm-hmm. like, how does Jaya feel about it? Did, did she really feel protected? Or did she feel embarrassed? Like, did she have a choice in that matter? Did Will think about yeah. how that would impact her as you were trying mm-hmm. to defend her? You know, all those things. We have devolved, we have devolved this conversation down to, like, here are these two men you know, here's the man that disrespected his wife, and here's the man that stuck up for her, and who's right and who's wrong. And I think we can't even fully answer that question if we're not taking a step back and seeing how Jada experienced yeah. that. And oh that's, gosh, that that, so real. <laughs> that's part of the issue with patriarchal masculinity. <laughs> like, it opens the room to just completely erase the woman mm-hmm. in that equation. Oh my gosh. That, and I think too, it's been interesting to see all the assumptions that we are making mm-hmm. about Jada. Like, I think we are doing a lot of speaking for Jada. Oh, well, Jada felt that we're like, well, we, we really don't know. Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing though, that as we were talking about accountability though, I do think that Will's response, and I know like, I mean, I'm not trying to center Will in this again, but I think Will's response was the easy way out. Because you know what's easy? It's easy to just punch a man Hmm. who says something that pisses you off. Mm -hmm. What's harder is to have a conversation and to actually have the dialogue of like why what someone is saying is probably, you know, like I think Mm -hmm. that it in some ways almost feel like it's a cop out, right? It's easier to punch you, say a few cuss words at you rather than like really hold you accountable Mm -hmm. by having the conversation, having the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I wanted to see happen you know what i mean Mm because i also think that part of this is about conflict i think and i think it's about how men's approach to conflict Mm. um and men's approach to conflict typically is we either gonna fight or we're not gonna talk about it and Mm -hmm. it's often it's like if you Mm -hmm. ain't gonna punch me don't say nothing 
Mm-hmm. Um, so. No, I agree. Yeah. And there's and there's so much to say and talk about. Like a lot of people have been discussing how, you know, Chris Rock has done a documentary about black hair, um, has done a documentary that really looked at also black women and black men's relationship to their hair. So why is he making that the butt of his jokes? Also, just the space of the the modern day comedian and yeah. <laughs> just where's the line, right? Yeah. And I think that is a hard that is becoming increasingly harder to determine in a world or in a culture where we're becoming much more aggressive in our standards of public conduct and discourse and conversation around mm-hmm. different identities. Um, for better or for worse, <laughs> that's that's up to to you all to decide. But yeah, the same jokes that comic comedians are making in twenty twenty two, nobody would have even cared about, you know, ten twenty years ago, and now they're under um, a level of scrutiny and ridicule. So it's just the standards keep changing. Kind of the where's the line? It keeps moving. And we have to like navigate that in real time, and we're not always consistent in that. Oh yeah, well, and I would, I would add to that too. I think I think I I would push back a little bit on that, and I would say that I think we haven't cared about the people who would complain about comedies. So I mm-hmm. think of like I was watching the Bernie Mac uh, comedy thing like probably I don't know a few years ago, and I was like, dang, this is the most like homophobic thing I have. Oh yeah. Ever. <laughs> you know <laughs> and i'm like i think that of course like there definitely had to be like so much impact from that but i think that like we silenced like or i think you know there's such a silencing of black lgbt plus men um <laughs> that you know we didn't care how they felt about it and it was more so you know don't be sensitive words shouldn't hurt mm-hmm. you so it, it is a tough line with comedy and honestly I don't it's hard for me to like comedy now mm-hmm. I'm like dang I don't know it just always <laughs> seems to go a little bit too far right no and, the, and I think that's true and, and kind of what I'm saying with like the lines keep shifting is because like the accountability is becoming like stronger over time yeah. right you know what I'm yep. saying like accountability is becoming stronger and it's also becoming the more that people organize um in these spaces of public discourse, the more that is becoming uh, socially, but also politically, also like financially unacceptable. (laughs) It's really that financial piece. (laughs) Oh yeah. And yeah. Well, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, play respectability politics or anything like that, but there also was something that hurt for me about watching this on the Oscars and knowing Mm -hmm. the type, I was like, dang, I just like hate to see us, going at it with us like at the oscars like mm-hmm. i even hate to see that like chris rock is making jokes about it like mm-hmm. anytime and don't get me wrong yes it was funny talking about will and jada at some point but i think it's like gotten to a point where i'm even sick of it <laughs> <laughs> like i am so sick of everyone i think making and it's been that way for so long actually mm-hmm. when i think about it will smith and jada uh smith have been like the butt of everyone's jokes for the longest. I mean, yeah. I mean, he basically <laughs> left his first wife to be with Jada, and so that's kind of carried on, like that yeah. that type of com- that type of commentary. 
and I mean, yeah, that's 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 the challenge of being public figures and also being deeply imperfect in how you live your life. <laughs> I, what's also weird too is I I just keep thinking about like if I had done what Will did, what like my mom or dad would have said to me. I feel like I would have got by then. <laughs> like, I think I was more so like I just don't feel like this honors. Like mm-hmm. those who have come before us, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Who have, and like I said, I don't want to play this whole like respectability politics. And I'm not trying to say you know because we're at the Oscars, we gotta be good Negroes to, to <laughs> please the white folks and be on our best behavior. Mm-hmm. But still, I just feel like I don't know. It's yeah. a little disrespectful. I feel that I do feel that, and I think um as I continue the process, it's like I want to on one hand, like, open up room, particularly for black people to be imperfect, like, yes. especially yes. for public figures, and I think we have we have just been kind of really n- trying to navigate those kind of conversations um, in the public eye lately a lot with, um, with kind of black public figures, while also holding space for, like, true accountability at the same time. But yeah. there's there's just this pressure to for for us as as black people to kind of portray this um, eye of perfection and especially how that shows up the uh, you know depending on your gender um, mm-hmm. and so you know while I am very much like yeah that slap her across the world is kind of awkward <laughs> to see an experience <laughs> and to see him kind of lash out like that. I'm also like, I see where it, part of that is, is stemming from just based on the few things that we know um, yeah, about what they have endured. And I cannot imagine what it may feel like to have to live your life out loud in all mm. of its messiness and receive the reception from that and continue to have to fight that every day and how, and also I'm, I'm not a man. So when he was talking about like this feeling of needing to protect the ones that they love, like let's talk about that. Like (laughs) just, um, like as, as a woman who desires to feel protected by the men in my life, but also that, that depending on how they define what that means, that can feel like a very tall order or feel very hard on men in some regards. Yeah, I think what's been interesting about like the protect uh, black women movement is I feel like I've seen a lot of black men talk about protecting black women only when it comes to like a physical altercation. That's how I feel like a lot of black men are reading it. But in my mind, I'm always thinking like, okay, how do you, like, protect Black women emotionally? Mm. Like, are you putting Black women in situations that are emotionally taxing? Like, are you protecting Black women when, um, or I'm thinking of um, just how many times, like, a Black woman is in a meeting and men are, like, speaking over her. White men are Mm -hmm. speaking over her. And Black men will say nothing in those spaces. Like, that Mm -hmm. is not protecting Mm -hmm. um, Black women. Are you allowing Black, uh, you know, Black women to have agency? are you know I so and I don't know sometimes I think when black men talk about protect black women it also often feels like it's like protect black women that are your siblings mm-hmm. or your 
partners. close friends or your partners, but not necessarily like all black women. Yes. It is like the black women that I have a connection to, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that, Justin. I think that that's, that's been one of the biggest things I have had to struggle with recently, just feeling emotionally unprotected. Mm. And whether that's feeling directly unprotected emotionally by someone that you thought you could trust, that they will emotionally protect you, or feeling emotionally unprotected by people you thought will hold that person accountable and there's no accountability. Like, yeah. I think sometimes that hurts even deeper, you know, than um, physical manifestations of it. And I, and I can see that being... A challenge, the cha- one of the challenges that Will was trying to navigate, like, I got to show that I'm protecting my wife, and I'm going to do it in this very overt, visible way. But underneath but the know, surface, where's the emotional protection, too? Oh, yeah. And that's why I think we have to add to, like, this protect black women. Like, I think we also have to start saying, like, protect black women's peace. Yeah. Protect black women's joy. Protect black women's time. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that... Because in that moment, I would, you know, something I'd be curious about, we'd never know, but was he protecting Jada's peace in that moment? You know, Mm -hmm. not knowing, because like you said, we don't really know how she felt about this encounter Mm -hmm. or if she felt like that was the protection that she needed and wanted Mm -hmm. at that time. And, you know, that's not not up to us to necessarily Mm -hmm. uh, figure out. Right, exactly. No, that and that's so good. Like, there's so many different ways to protect Black women, um, and I think because so many women have just felt so deeply unprotected, that any type of gesture to show protection, like we're going to, there's a lot of women that's going to lift that up. Um, oh, and yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that, and I actually deeply resonate and, and to some degrees agree. Like, you know. I would much rather you show that you're trying to protect me versus not do it at all. But also just making sure, because I've, I've had some moments, Destin, <laughs> where I have had these thoughts in my mind. I'm just like, so ain't none of y'all just going to roll up on this dude and two-piece him for me real quick? <laughs> like, so we're just not going to do that? Um, and then I have to, you know, step outside of myself. For, and I'm like, well, that wouldn't have helped. But, like, and then you have to really start the process. Like, what did you really need? What did you really need? And, okay, what I really needed was you to have a conversation, for you to really push, to re- for you to really hold someone accountable. Like, that is what, what I, so I think it, it, takes a, it takes a lot of emotional accountability on my own, you know, mm. across the board. But I feel like in a lot of ways as a culture, we're just not even ready to have that part of the conversation because mm. there's just so much distrust to unpack and lack of feeling protected and covered but also just even before that a lack of understanding about what it means to feel protected and covered and the expectations we have on black men to do that and how have we readily communicate those expectations if we have and they have not met those expectations where's the lack of account where's the accountability and why is it not there so oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> what? I just thought about something I guess like 
when we talk about like the expectation for like you know black men um, protecting women like physically, I guess I just had mm-hmm. this thought about my mind of like, okay, what if they get beat up? Then what? Like, right? <laughs> so like, they swing on someone. If they get beat up, now what? <laughs> like, do you still feel protected? Oh. Right? <laughs> if this person attempts to defend you, yep. and they get beat up. <laughs> no, most people, look, the culture will say, oh, he's soft. He can't fight for me. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, you know, there's always going to be someone bigger. There's always going to be someone yeah. stronger. There's always going to be someone who could beat you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why. I just had so it's, a, it's the effort that counts. It's the intention that counts. <laughs> I just Not have that, like, image in my head of, like, <laughs> somebody trying to, like, just imagine if, like, Chris Rock would have swung back. <laughs> Yo, that, that would have been crazy. Been. That would have been so ghetto. We don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so crazy. But, yes. Yeah, but I'm curious, though, to hear more from you about, like, because I, I still, I think as a Black man that is, you know, doing the work of trying to unlearn patriarchal masculinity, mm-hmm. when we talk about, like, protecting women, I'm always trying to, like, figure out what does that really mean or, like, yeah. what makes a person feel protected. Mm-hmm. And then I'll add to that, too, of um, how do... I, uh, I get it's complicated but in some ways I also think that like feelings of so when I think of what it means to be protected I think of feelings of safety mm-hmm. and I think that that is something I feel that like all humans are entitled to yeah. so in the same way like how do we protect black men how do we protect each other mm-hmm. you know I think as a community is a conversation I think that also has to be had too no that is a great question and I think I think within the past year, I have really spent a lot of time trying to process what that means for me, um, mm. largely in like dating and intimate relationships, but yeah. I think it also can cut across to just your friendships and things too. Um, and mm. I think when I think about protection, particularly in relationship to the men in my life, I think now I'm thinking a lot more about emotional protection. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, mean that there's going to be a level of consistency, there's going to be a level of commitment to um, honesty, um, a commitment to covering, um, a commitment to, you know, not manipulating emotions or mindsets Mm -hmm. or things. and then also, like, oh, Lord, sorry. Oh, my <laughs> we don't want to play. We don't want to play. <laughs> sorry, y'all. <laughs> and then you just walk away like a little G. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just like this, I, more so just knowing that if I, if this is in the dating space, if I am opening a space of vulnerability up to you, like, to you, um, that you are going to not mishandle that and vice versa. Mm. And, and vice versa, right? Yeah. Um, but I also think, you know, in friendships and things like that, um, really being able to hear and listen to mm. and be responsive to the women in your life um, mm. and be able to integrate that in how you treat any other woman, really, I think it's really important. Um, 
So, yeah, and I think there's just so many times where I've just, I've personally witnessed people share space, um, have friendships, or have some type of relationship meant to another man. Um, but when it's time to hold space for accountability, they're not present. And that is, I'm not going to lie, that is very hard for the women in your life that mm. become the... Um, just become the collateral damage. Very hard. And I don't think enough men realize how deeply harmful that is for the women that they say they care about in their lives. So I think that's the big, and that I think also is, um, I also think the word safety comes a lot into that too. When I think about what it means to feel safe, um, obviously like, Please, is somebody about to roll up on me? <laughs> like, please, two pieces for me if you can. But I don't even really think about that as much. It's, it's, more, it's more the emotional safety. It's more, more the emotional protection. Like, mm. you know, and, we, you know, you can have that conversation about how women are, you know, more emotional. I don't think, think that's true. Men, both men and women have a spectrum of emotions. They it's have. just women have more room to express them in this culture. Mm. Yeah. But if for you, as you particularly know yourself, if you know that you know you're more um, emotionally sensitive, uh, you have to be thoughtful about who you share space with and feeling like you mm. feel spa- safe with those people. And so, when I think about all the men in my life and what it means to feel safe and protected, those are the things that are more coming to mind than everything else is the emotional space because that. Mm. That impacts so much. It impacts your mental, so many different things, your spiritual, so on and so forth. Oh, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And I think, <laughs> too, that I was going to say, I think that sometimes there can be, or a, uh, I'll say a challenge that I have come across, I think, with like holding friends accountable is also feeling like just not knowing. I think that. <laughs> I can have, so I once, sorry, edit that part out because I'm over here scrambling over my work. (laughs) But I once saw uh, or heard someone talk about how a lot of men in their friendships, they do life side by side. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women do life face to face. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I have felt like in some of my relationships to men, that I really don't know anything about mm-hmm. them, you know, and that all I know is either the activity that I do with them or the way in which I met them, but I don't really know much. And I think that it's, it's so much a part of like masculine culture that you mind your business, that mm-hmm. you stay out. So sometimes it's, it's always like, I mean, is this person my friend? Like, do I know <laughs> this person? Um, and yeah, so I think that can be a challenge, but you're absolutely right. I think too often we have seen men do harm and we know them and we don't say anything, mm-hmm. you know, like we know them, we know what they do. And sometimes it's like, even if we don't know, we know, right? Like we mm-hmm. have seen men do questionable things or we have, and even if we haven't seen them do questionable things, you have heard them say oh, yeah. questionable things on social media and we don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's very real. Yeah. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. So, yeah, I think that's really at the heart of what I've seen most pe- most women say after last night's shenanigans is, mm-hmm. 
well, y'all don't protect us anyway, so at least we'll take this. We'll, yeah. We will take this because it's better than nothing. Hmm. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of pain wrapped into that. Like yes, and that is where we have to really unpack that when it comes to like interrelational, um, interpersonal conflict and and dynamics. Like the fact that we will we will rather take you just doing the open hand slap in front of the entire world, regardless of what that means, mm-hmm. than nothing. Because so many women have experienced nothing when it comes to protection. Mm, wow. That that is so real. So it's kinda like a dang, at least at least he did something. Yeah. Versus we know how many times we have been in spaces and watched men do absolutely nothing. Literally. That is so real. Yeah, so. that is very real. So we'll we can end on that note because because <laughs> it's yeah that's it's tough but yeah I really do hope you know as Twitter Black Twitter continues to debate this and all these things um, that we can continue to take these conversations offline like we've kind of done on the show today and really just like really sit with some of those key things like really sit with. Mm. Us knowing this was not the best option, but there's so much pain and so much lack of feeling a lack of covering that yeah this is this is we'll take this over anything and what does that mean, you know, when we're talking mm. about how black men show up. So Absolutely. And you know, I hope that there are people like I think we and I think so much of the conversation has been focused on Will's response. You know, I hope that there are people in, like, Chris Rock's life who, like, mm-hmm. called him out. Like, I hope he has male friends yep. that called him and say, hey, look, man, I need you to know, like, what you were saying was out of line. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, if men are ever questioning, like, what is a good starting point to accountability, I think it's doing that. Mm-hmm. It's reaching out to those friends and saying, hey. Like, I say it in love, what you did was absolutely wrong. And, mm-hmm. like, I, I can't let you continue to do stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I hope that – and that's my thing. I think if our response is just violence, no learning happens from that. Yeah. You know, like, your friends will – you know, if you just punch everybody who, who does something, like, they're still going to continue to keep doing that harm, and we shouldn't put that work on mm-hmm. black women to have to explain – as we wrap up the episode um where can people find you and all of the bodies of work that you have created and put out in the world Oh, yes. Praise the Lord. You can find me in the scriptures. Oh, day and night. Uh, <laughs> now you can find me on Instagram at Dustin for Greatness, D-E-S-T-Y-N. Um, or on my podcast, Instagram, Rethinking Manhood. Um, or you know what? You can, find, you can find me over at St. Albans Church of God in Christ at 11 a.m. on Sunday, 6, 7, 8 Aurora Avenue, St. Albans. <laughs> Five five one zero four. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. And then didn't you put out an album too? 
I did. I always forget that I did that. Uh, yeah, Scream, <laughs> I have a lo-fi kind of piano album. It's called Venture by Destin Adante. Adante is capital A apostrophe, capital D-A-N-T-E. I always laugh because they just had to put an apostrophe up in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I love Shout out to Black Parents. Shout out to Black Parents. Yeah, stream that. Uh, and yeah, follow follow the podcast. I'd love to connect. Yes, yes. And I just want to say thank you again, Destin, for coming. And I am really pushing all of y'all to pull up onto Rethinking Manhood. Listen to the podcast. The conversations are great. Destin is just a really good storyteller. He's a really good producer. I just feel so calm listening to his episodes. Um, And he's also doing some great, like, narrative building on Instagram, just sharing some really good content to continue that conversation around rethinking manhood and really dismantling patriarchal masculinity in particular. And he's, as you heard, a Bell Hooks fan, so you know. Oh, I'm a stan, okay? Okay. Don't get me started on Bell Hooks. (laughs) Okay, so, you know, he be reading. He be reading. So, <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us today for this episode of The Revival. Um, we are going to be wrapping up this season soon. Um, but also, I really want to encourage you all to follow us on Instagram at The Revival TC Pie. We'll be doing something special for Holy Week. Um, more details to come, but really want to invite you all into a season of renewal. Um, and just hearing from God as we reflect on the the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I really want you all to uh, stay connected to us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page at The Revival TC, um, The Space Revival Space TC. <laughs> and so I really want to encourage you all to get connected. Also, we really need some... some uh, folks to send some ratings and some reviews onto our podcast pages so that we can hear. I really want to hear from you all about how these episodes are landing, where the conversations and topics that really resonate with you. So please, in your free time, uh, send us a rating on Apple or Spotify or on iHeartRadio and also leave a comment um, on some of our episodes and what you are vibing with. And so, we just thank you all for pulling up, and we are so excited to uh, invite you all to our last episode on April 18th, y'all. April 18th. That will uh, close season one, but guys are already showing me some fire things for season two, so get ready. <laughs> get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready. <laughs> all right, y'all. Sign it off. Peace. The viewers are opinions expressed by this platform are personal and belong solely to the host and its guests and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the host may or may not be associated with in professional or personal capacities unless explicitly stated.